You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. Wonderful. Well, we're back in Corinthians uh, this morning, and the title of this message is The Role of Women in Ministry. So we've got up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34. It's kind of where we left off uh, three weeks ago. So let me start by just reading the passage through, and then we'll get into um, talking, talking about it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 to 38 says this, Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church meetings. Or do you think that God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think that you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourselves will not be recognized. Wow, what a passage to preach on. eh? I think that this was possibly one of the most uh, misunderstood and even uh, abused passages in Scripture. At first glance, uh, when you read through this passage, it might raise a lot of questions. Uh, In fact, it might stir up a lot of emotions inside of you. There might even be anger boiling up inside of you. And um, someone once said that if you haven't been shocked by what you've read in the Bible, then you haven't read the whole Bible. There's going to come a point at some stage when you read something in the Bible that is just absolutely shocking to us. And this is certainly one of those uh, scriptures. Uh, Someone else said the Bible might be easy to read, but it's hard to swallow at some times. And this is, in fact, one of the reasons, this passage uh, and amongst others in 1 Corinthians, is the reason that I originally said no to God when I felt him prompting me to preach through the book of 1 Corinthians, because I knew that this was one of the scriptures in it, and I knew there was other scriptures like this in the book, and I just thought, man, this is a difficult book to preach through. But you can never win an argument against God. And so eventually I yielded and I said, okay, Lord, I'll go through the book. And here we are at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. We've got two more chapters to go and then we finish the book. But I wonder if you would agree with the following statement. God is always right and he never makes mistakes. Do you agree with that? God is always right. He never makes mistakes. Psalm 18 verse 30 says this, God's way is perfect and all the Lord's promises prove true. His way is perfect. So this morning I'm going to talk specifically around the role of women in ministry and I want to teach on not only that but also I want to spill over into the roles of husbands and wives in marriages and uh, roles in say families and in leadership in the church. But I do need to say this, I'm talking about from a biblical perspective and I'm talking about family and I'm talking about church. I'm not talking about what happens in the world. So I'm not speaking uh, into our government or into business situations or into anything like that. There is a context to what the Bible speaks about here and we've got to stay within that frame and not step out out of the context here. In many parts of the world, This topic is highly controversial. The word controversial actually means 
public disagreement. And it's not surprising that a lot of the, of the Bible is controversial because the vast majority of the world, the public, disagree with what's in the Bible. And so the interesting thing is that this is not a controversial topic to God. This is something that's in His Word. I think when God looks at this, He doesn't see it as being weird or as being out of place. It's just simply His good plan. And I think that's how God views this thing. It's just that the world has drifted from, from God's uh, from an understanding of God's plan, and that's why this topic is actually controversial. So my goal this morning is to look at the Bible in as unbiased a way as I possibly can. So I'm going to limit as much as I can my own personal opinion on this topic. I simply want to look at the scriptures, put them in context, and look at what's going on, and uh, try my best to uh, bring across the truth of God's Word. But I am admitting that I need the Holy Spirit's help in a big way because without Him giving revelation, I'm going to make a total hash of it and uh, we need His help when it comes to uh, this passage of Scripture. So, let me, let me start by asking you to imagine a sliding scale. And I've got an image that I've created uh, that will come up on the screen. And so on this scale are various positions of churches um, uh, with regards to the roles of men and women in marriage and in leadership. On the one side of the scale is what's called the patriarchy camp. And on the other side of the scale is the egalitarian camp. And churches fit into a range of positions all along the sliding scale. So it's not like it's one or the other. There's a range of positions that are kind of like, some of them will be very strongly on one side or strongly on the other side. Some churches will hold to some of the uh, beliefs or views, uh, but are kind of more lenient on other things. So there's really a, a wide variety of uh, positions all along the scale. So let me just talk about the two ends. Uh, on the one side is the patriarchy camp, and I suppose you could say that this is the tradition, more traditional view uh, on this topic. And I also want to point out that I think it's fair to say that the world that Paul lived in would be more patriarchal than egalitarian. The worldview at that time would be more along this side of the scale. They maybe not agree with everything that the Bible would say, some of the truths they wouldn't agree with. But generally, when you look at society in Paul's day, this is what was going on. So the patriarchy camp hold to these beliefs. Uh, God reveals himself as masculine and not feminine. God has ordained distinct gender roles for man and woman. A husband and father is the head of his household, a family leader, provider and protector. Male leadership in the home carries over into the church. A God-honoring society will prefer male leadership even in civil positions of society. And so some of the patriarchal views are quite strong on this. Some of them are quite, they, they don't adhere to all of these things. Um, then because woman was created as a helper to her husband, her proper sphere of dominion is in the home. God's command to be fruitful and multiply applies to married couples. 
Christian parents must provide for their children with a thorough Christian education. Uh, both sons and daughters are under the covering and command of their father whilst they are living under his roof. And then very strong patriarchal views would say that women can't vote, women can't get educated. They would also say that women shouldn't have careers outside of the home. And so there's a wide variety of positions that churches would take up on that side of the scale, if you like. Okay, and then on the other end of the scale is the egalitarian camp. These views are held by uh, the Christian egalitarian uh, kind of side of, of the scale. Men and women are equal in all things. Men and women have no defined roles and can function or minister in any form of church leadership. Uh, let me just add to that is that uh, Christian egalitarians would take the, the roles of men and women have come in since the fall and are basically uh, done away with in, in Christ. So there's scriptures that would read uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So they kind of, they're not saying there were no roles, they're just saying that in Christ the roles have been done away with. So headship for an egalitarian could be male or female. Uh, positions of authority in leadership and in marriage are equally available to both men and women. Strong egalitarian views uh, would include God even being genderless, so that God is both a father and a mother. Some versions of the Bible actually read as follows. So John 3.16, for instance, uh, would say, For God so loved the world that God gave God's only child, so that everyone who believes in that child may not perish, but may have eternal life. And that's, that's an extreme egalitarian uh, translation of Scripture. And as I said earlier, some egalitarians might even go as far as to support a genderless view of mankind. So where it's kind of, I suppose in an extreme sense, you would do away with genders. Okay? And on that side of the, of the sliding scale, there are churches that would be kind of very kind of strong egalitarians, some that would be maybe more wouldn't agree with all of those things, maybe some of those things. And so you've really got churches all along the sliding scale of one side to the other. And I want to just point out that both, both sides of this scale have some elements of biblical truth and some elements that are in error. And um, they've gone beyond the boundaries of Scripture. For instance... Because of the patriarchal views of men only in leadership roles and women's role in submitting to men, uh, this has resulted in cases of abuse. Unfortunately, that's been the case. And even in Christian circles, uh, some men have used these scriptures to basically justify uh, making women doormats. They don't ever say they are, they are just got to basically toe the line with whatever men have decided. And unfortunately, uh, right throughout history, um, abuse of power has taken place. So 
You've had, uh, you know, the rich people abusing poor, strong people abusing weak, educated people abusing uneducated. And still today, there are people who dominate others and others who are oppressed. And it's really tragic. And it's not something that I believe God in any way looks upon and endorses uh, any form of abuse. Um, for myself personally, it's just something that I cannot tolerate in any way. And uh, is the any kind of abuse uh, for male on female, um, it's something just reacts very violently within me when I see any kind of bullying or abuse going on, parents and children as well. And I just feel sick to my core when I see someone who who is in a position uh, of authority or something like that where they're abusing someone who isn't, and it's just wrong. Um, even when women are not allowed uh, education, when they're not allowed to vote, something in me just reacts and goes, actually, that's not right. Something's wrong about that. It's actually squashing something that God never put in place. Um, so I suppose in reaction to this, uh, in reaction to an extreme patriarchal view, uh, the egalitarian position has grown in strength. And so it's almost like the pendulum has been on one side and now the pendulum has swung in reaction to the other side. But what's happened in the egalitarian view is that in removing roles from husbands and wives, uh, in a sense, it's devalued both men and women. And there is no longer a, a sense of a uniqueness in creation with unique roles, but it's kind of just been reduced to being generalists. So I, I picture the egalitarian and extreme egalitarian view as being, if you took two colors, you've got yellow on one side and blue on the other. If you take a little bit of blue, mix it with the yellow, you end up with green. If you take a little bit of yellow, mix it with the blue, you end up with green. And so when you start blending the two together, you end up with two shades of green instead of two distinct, unique colors. And so in a sense, you lose the distinctness of masculinity and you lose the distinctness of femininity when you try and blend the two together and get some kind of everybody's equal. There's no such thing as roles. There's no difference in function. There's no difference, uh, you know, in anything. You end up blending the two together and you lose something of the wonderful uniqueness that God has created men and women to be. So, traditionally, I would say that the church has planted itself in the patriarchal camp. And I think that although the church knew that there have been some abuses because of that position, they've kind of looked at it and gone, well, a lot of what the patriarchal camp believe in is seen in the Bible. The way it's interpreted, people have kind of got it wrong in some senses, got it right in other senses, but they can see, okay, probably, there's probably more biblical truth in that side of the fence, and so the church has traditionally uh, been placed in that camp. In the late uh, 1980s, a group of theologians and pastors began to meet to discuss what they thought the biblical position 
of leadership in the church and headship in marriage was. People like Wayne Grudem, John Piper and others. And they did this because the church was increasingly shifting towards the egalitarian view and they saw that actually now there's another problem started. And so yes, there's a problem on the one side, but now we've got a problem on the other side. So what is, where is the biblical, I suppose, middle ground in all of this? So they, they formed a group and started discussing around this role of uh, husbands and wives in a marriage, roles of leadership in the church. And they thought, well, what is actually, what does the biblical view look like? And I've got a second slide uh, that we can put up just to show you uh, what it, what it kind of looks like. And the word they came up with, it's a made-up word, it's called complementarianism. And uh, it's not a word you'll find in the Bible. It's like the word trinity. You won't find the word trinity in the Bible, but it's, uh, it's a word to describe the Godhead, that they are three in one. And we see that in Scripture, but the word itself isn't in Scripture. It's the same as complementarianism. They're trying to show a position, what they believe is biblical truth, and um, yeah, trying to trying to find out where is actually the biblical position on this on this whole thing. And I'm going to spend a bit of time just explaining what the beliefs of this group are. So, first of all, men and women are equal in value are equal in status, are equal in dignity, but they are different. Okay, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 to 31. If you have your Bibles, uh, just turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to spend a bit of time in this book, jumping around a bit. But Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 to 31 says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for food, for your food. And I have given uh, animals that scurry along the ground. Every, sorry, and, and I have given every green plant for food as well for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that's what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. So God creates male and female. He looks over everything he's made and he says, it's good. It's good to have two different genders. It's good to have male and female. I want you to see that from the scripture. And it's also, I want you to see that male and female are created in the image of God. It's not Men were created in the image of God and women weren't. Both are created in the image of God. There's no sense of one is better than the other, one is more valuable than the other. It's both of them have incredible value above all of the rest of creation in that men and women 
are created in the image of God. They are both blessed by God and they are both given a purpose from God. And so actually I want to just correct something that I said in previous preachers is that I have taught that uh, you know from Genesis is that God gave Adam a kind of a vision and then he added a helper to help him fulfill the vision. But I want to just bring a slight correction there. I've changed my thinking on this, is that God gave that vision, that mandate to both of them. He said to both of them, go and fill the earth, multiply, you know, look, look after the earth, plant plants, and, you know, grow all the seed-bearing plants, rule over all the animals. All that kind of thing was given to the both of them. It's also very clear from the scripture that God created humans to be either male or female and looked at that and said that's actually very good. And so there's a God-created difference between men and women. And this is something that God says is actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing that there's a difference. There's nothing wrong with masculinity and there's nothing wrong with femininity. And all this happened before the fall. Okay. Then secondly, with complementarianism, is that in a marriage, the husband has been assigned the role of head and the wife has been assigned the role of helper, even though they are equal in value before the Lord. And so complementarianism would see it as these roles are not one is better than the other, but it's that the two roles complement each other. If you think of it like a sports team, you have different roles in a sports team. You have, like in soccer, you'd have a goalie, you'd have a striker, you'd have someone on the wing. Those roles all complement each other. It's no good having a goalie trying to score goals or the wing trying to stay back you know, and be the goalie. Everybody has got different roles and when people function in those roles, they all complement one another to be able to do the job or get the job done effectively. And so Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 21 to 23. If you have your Bibles, just turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll look at from verse 21 to 23. It says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this is, this is the starting point. Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. So the starting place of all of this is a reverence for Christ. It's actually coming with a with an attitude of humility. When we look at this topic, if we don't come before God with an attitude of humility and going, God, what brings you glory? What have you put in place? We're going to get it all wrong. If we come at it from the attitude of, well, this is the way the world is. This is what you know, common uh, opinion is. This is where things are heading in the world. We don't really care about what God is saying or whether this glorifies God or not. Well, then we're not coming out of an attitude of reverence uh, for Christ. So, so the important thing for us as Christians is to come at this from a place of we're coming to revere Christ and he says what that means submitting to one another. What does this submission look like? Let's carry on. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, 
before we carry on to the rest of the scripture, remember that Genesis 2 reveals why God created woman. He, he, he created Adam and then he looked at Adam and he says, hey, hang on, something's missing here. This is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he made Adam a perfect helper so that together, complementing one another, they can get the job done. Okay, And within that mandate, he said, I want you to be the head and I want you to be the helper. Now that's just solely up to God. He could have changed the order of creation if he wanted to. He could have said, well, I'm going to create women first and men second, and that's just how it's going to be. But he chose to do it the way he did. And there's, and it's got nothing to do with ability. It's got nothing to do with uh, favoring one over the other. It's just God's choice in the way that he's assigned roles. So God made man and woman. He made a head and he made a helper. He made a perfect team, if you really want to look at it like that. A team that, if they will work together, will accomplish the incredible task that God has given them to do. Let me also just point out to say that this scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 is talking about roles in a marriage. It's not talking about men and women in the rest of society. It's not saying all women have to submit to all men. It's saying wives submit to husbands. Okay, So let's keep that in context. It's roles within a marriage. Okay, So that's what submission to one another looks like for a wife. What does submission to one another look like for a husband? Well, let's carry on. Ephesians 5. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Let me just say that again. Marriage is an illustration of Christ and the church. That's important. So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Notice that this scripture brings an amazing truth to us. Marriages reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. God's will is that every marriage is a small picture of Christ and the church. It's like a little microcosm of the relationship between Christ and the church. The husband is the head, Christ is the head of the church. The wife is the helper, and the church is the helper. If you don't have head and helper, then you don't have an accurate picture of Christ and the church. When a husband lays down his life 
for his wife and his children. It's a witness to the world of what Christ has done for the church. When a husband lives a selfless life, pours himself into his family, you get a picture of what Christ has done for the church. And so the role of the husband is to give, to provide, to protect, to live his life in such a way that his family are washed and cleansed and built up and strengthened. And it's vice versa for wives who honor and respect their husbands, helping and complimenting so that the purposes of God can be fulfilled. And that's a picture of the way the church serves Jesus and, and, and lives. we live our lives in response to seeing, hey, we want to see your will be done. We want to see the kingdom of God coming. We want to see the purposes and plans of God take place. We don't want to just kind of decide, oh, we've got something better to do. We're going to do our own thing. And so when you look at marriages, God's intent is that marriages reflect something in a small way of what Christ and the church are in relationship to one another. When we start messing with the roles of marriage, we are indirectly messing with the picture of the gospel. That's why this is actually a fairly critical issue for the church today. So that's the second thing with complementarianism. Then the third and final thing uh, that uh, I want to bring out with complementarianism is that in church leadership, the, the role of an elder is exclusive to men. And the reason is, is because of headship. The role of a deacon is available to both men and women. The two key differences between the roles of elders and deacons is that an elder exercises authority and an elder must be able to teach. So when you look at those two things, you see that a deacon doesn't do those two things. And so the role of a deacon is available to anybody, but the role of an elder is exclusive to men. Okay, Because uh, an elder has to be able to teach and an elder has to exercise authority. An elder's role is to set doctrine and to determine direction and to discipline when, when necessary. A deacon's role is a support role in serving in ministry. But here's the, here's the thing that I often wonder to myself. In God's kingdom, I wonder if the role of a deacon is actually more exalted than the role of an elder. Because in the kingdom of God, the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. And so I wonder whether that isn't the case. I'm not going to say that's doctrine or whatever, but it is something that I think about. You know, the world looks at it and goes, oh, there's a hierarchy here, you know, elders are allowed to do this, deacons aren't. But I think in the kingdom of God, the role of deacon could be a greater role because it's a role of serving. When it comes, when it comes to the rest of the qualifications, they're pretty much the same between elders and deacons. And so what about wives to elders? What, about, what is their role? Well, we see it, uh, well, the complementarians would see it as a, as a role of complementing their husbands, helping their husbands. And without their helping, the husband or the elder cannot function in the best possible way. And that's why in our elders' meetings, our wives are involved. Now, I know that in some churches who take this complementarian view or maybe even a patriarchal view, they, their elders' meetings are only the men. 
They don't have their wives involved, but we do because we see husbands and wives as having complementing roles, especially wives having a complementing role. And so without our wives' input, it's, we, we take it as the same from Genesis. It's not good for a man to be alone. We need our wives to, to minister with us, to complement us in our ministry. But when it comes to decision-making, everybody in the room will get to have their say, but the final responsibility and the weight and the outcome of that responsibility will rest with the men who are the elders. So we have to bear the, bear the brunt of whether it's a good or a bad decision, we have to take responsibility for that. But we certainly include our ladies in that role. Now, that's just with eldership. Uh, which basically is three things, uh, setting doctrine, uh, disciplining people, or setting the direction of the church. Every other role in ministry is open to everyone, uh, male or female. So take, for instance, the role of an evangelist. The role of an evangelist, from what I can see in Scripture, is open to both male and female. There's nothing wrong with having female evangelists or lady evangelists. I mean, when you look at uh, some of the stories in the Bible, Jesus spoke once to a Samaritan woman, and uh, I've got the scripture here somewhere, I'll find it for you. But uh, she went on and she evangelized her whole, her whole town, and they came out and nearly all of the town got saved. And Jesus never had a problem and said, hey, hang on a minute, you're a woman, you can't go back into town and actually talk about what I've shared. You need to let a man do that. No, he doesn't do that. He actually he celebrates the fact that this lady brought the whole town to salvation. So there's nothing wrong with ladies evangelizing, ladies prophesying. When you get to the scripture in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, why is Paul saying that women need to be silent in a church meeting? He cannot be talking about the normal church meeting like what we've got, because a few scriptures earlier, he's talking about the gifts of prophecy and things like that. And we know from scripture that prophecy or the Holy Spirit is poured out on both men and women. And there's examples in the book of Acts of ladies who are prophets. Philip's four daughters were all prophetesses, if you like. And so Paul cannot be saying, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, we're not allowing women to speak in any way in our meetings. So if any lady has a prophecy, well, she simply can't share it in the meeting. She's got to go home, share it with her husband, then he can bring it. That's not what Paul's saying. I believe uh, what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about a church meeting that is actually an eldership meeting. And now you've got a situation where uh, you've got ladies that are, are possibly trying to set doctrine in the church. And Paul's saying, that's not right. It's got to be the men that have to take that final say. When you look at the Corinthian church, you're looking at a church that has a lot of problems. There's a, there's a, there's a history in this church of controversial things happening. Uh, there were factions, divisions in the church, rampant sexual immorality. There were some of the ladies who were married in that church weren't wearing their veils in public. So basically saying, well, I'm single, I'm not married. Others were shaving their heads. 
which basically the temple prostitutes used, used to do in the day. And so there was a whole lot of controversial stuff happening. And if we keep that in context and bring it forward into this meeting, we've got to say there's controversial stuff going on in, in this meeting. And so, and Paul particularly mentions in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, uh, it's not proper for women to speak in the meetings. Uh, and he says, yeah, he's, he's talking about if they've got questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in, in church meetings. The only way we can biblically marry that up with the rest of the Bible is to say there's got to be some issue here with women trying to govern the church in a way that is setting doctrine, in a way that is disciplinary or a way of setting direction. And Paul's saying, actually, that role should be for the men. Other than that, can women preach? Yes, they most certainly can preach. Can women uh, prophesy? Yes, they can. Could they run a home group? Yes, they can, because we see that as being a role of a deacon. It's a serving role. Uh, they're not... They're not changing doctrine in those meetings. They're not disciplining people in those meetings. They're encouraging people. They are sharing God's word. There's no problem with that. Now, I know that there are some churches that would even not have women preach. But we, that's why I'm saying there's a sliding scale in this whole thing. Some churches would take a kind of a stronger view on this. Some churches might take a lesser view. We would take the view of, hey, we recognize there are different roles. There's a complementary role that uh, women have in a marriage, and that, that spills over into an eldership context as well. Because if an elder is married, he cannot be head at home, come to the church, and then his wife is a head in the church. Where does that swap over happen? It simply can't happen. There's no dividing line. And so... We would view it as husbands are head uh, in their homes and elders are head in the church. And it's just a functional position where it involves those three things of setting doctrine, setting direction, and disciplining. Not the most glamorous things, I must say, but that's the role of an elder. And the interesting thing for me is that when you let me let me make a comment uh, from one Timothy chapter two in verse eleven to fifteen. Paul makes this statement. He says, "Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let a woman teach or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first, and afterwards He made Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived by Satan; the woman was deceived." And sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. I want to remind us that the, the viewpoint of society in Paul's day was far more towards the patriarchal side. And so they're looking at biblical truth uh, in a way that they are being pulled by society into this men-dominated kind of society uh, position. And so when Paul talks about women should learn quietly and submissively, it's actually a, uh, how can I put it? It's, 
It's something where God is actually elevating the position of woman because in that day and age, women were not allowed to be educated. But here in the Christian church, God is providing a way that even though society won't allow it, ladies in Christian marriages can be educated through their husbands. But now our position is the other side. Society has now swung the pendulum. We are far more towards the egalitarian side of things. And so the church is not being pulled towards a male headship uh, position. It's being pulled towards uh, an equality, an, an egalitarian, where there's no headship, there's no helper. We are being pulled in that direction. And that's important for us to realize is that we're not approaching these scriptures from the same position that Paul and Timothy were back in the biblical uh, back in their time. We're approaching it from a different point of view, but yet God's, uh, God's roles and his plan for marriages hasn't changed. It's just that the world is pulling us in a different direction uh, to, to uh, where Paul and, and, and uh, Timothy were. And so we don't have the position now where ladies are not allowed to be educated, where they can't have a job or anything like that. We have that in society, but we are being pulled now towards genderless or roleless or that kind of a position. And so, so in a sense, we are trying to get a biblical position of saying eldership is, is, uh, is a men-only role. Uh, headship in a marriage is men-only. Uh, helping in a marriage is woman only. Uh, and it seems like, well, society has gone way down on this one end. That's why this has become a controversial topic. But the, the great thing with the Bible is that the Bible, although it speaks into our culture, when you look at truths that are coming out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, they are before culture. There, are no, there is no culture that's actually been established uh, back then. And so when Paul says to Timothy, women should learn submissively, quietly, and all that kind of thing, he, he takes Timothy back to before culture. And he says, for God made Adam first, and afterwards he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. Now, I want, to, I want to say that Paul is not having a go at woman and saying, well, look what happened back in the garden. Eve was the one who sinned, and so that's why men have to be head and women have to be helper. That's not what Paul is saying here. What happened in the Garden of Eden is this. God made man and woman. He made man to be the head, and he made woman to be the helper. Satan comes along and he goes, okay, that's what God has put in place. These are the roles that God has put in place. I'm going to totally ignore those roles. I don't care what God's plan is. I'm going to make my own plan here. I'm going to do my own thing. So instead of Satan going to the head, instead of him going to Adam, he goes to Eve. And he forces Eve into a position of being the head. He forces her to do something that God never uh, asked her to do. And, and so he goes to Eve and he deceives her. And this is what Paul is saying here. is saying it was not Adam 
who was deceived by Satan. He's saying, actually, Satan should have gone to Adam as the head, but he didn't. He didn't play by the rules. He, he undermined what God had put in place, and he went to Eve because he thought, I'm going to twist this whole situation around. I'm going to put them in roles that they're not supposed to be in, and I'm going to cause havoc here. And, and this is what Paul is actually meaning here. And he says, the woman was deceived, and sin was the result. He's not having a go at Eve. He's pointing out the strategy of Satan. He's saying Satan had a go at Eve because he thought, if I can put her into a position that God hasn't called her to do, I'm going to bypass the headship. I'm going to bypass the person who should be protecting this marriage, who should be standing there defending with his wife, standing defending against the attacks of Satan. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to totally ignore Adam, and I'm just going to talk to Eve, and Adam can just stand there, and I'm not even going to give him the time of day. Tragically, what happened is that Adam should have stepped in as the head. He should have actually stepped in and said, listen, that's not what God said, because Eve was trying to do her best. She was trying to you know, say, this is what God said. But actually, Adam was the one who heard firsthand from God. He heard God say, you're not allowed to eat from this tree. When Eve defended uh, them against Satan, she said, yes, God did say, we're not allowed to eat from this tree. We mustn't even touch it. And that's not what God said. God did not say they were not allowed to touch the tree. And was that because uh, she didn't hear it firsthand? Was it because Adam maybe added that in? Maybe Adam thought, well, God said we're not allowed to eat from that tree. I'm going to tell everyone you're not even allowed to touch that tree or even go near it, just so, you know, as a double protection. And so the tragic thing is that Adam never stepped in. He just stood there. It's an absolute tragedy. And I think this is something that, that uh, has continued even into today. If you, read, if you read the book of Timothy, you'll read uh, a little bit earlier in the chapter where Timothy says, you know, I want women to dress modestly and all this kind of thing. But he says, I want men to pray. And I think this, the situation in, in the Garden of Eden reflects something of what's going on in society or in Christian marriages today is that the tendency is for men to abdicate their role as head. They don't want to pray. They don't want to step in. They don't want to defend. They don't want to step into the battle against Satan. They just want to simply, simply take a back seat and say, well, my wife prays or my wife does this and that and the next thing. And because of that, we have a similar situation where Satan is just causing havoc. We've got to step up and we've got to pray. As men, we cannot abdicate our role as head. We've, we've got to be prepared to get on our knees. When, when our family is under attack, we should be on our knees praying. We should be winning the battle because Satan's strategy is to make the battle between men and women. And the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is not about men versus women. It's not about masculinity versus femininity. It's not about who should be the head and who should be the helper. That should not be our fight. Our fight should be against our real enemy who is spiritual, who is unseen, who is Satan. 
And and when we when we function in our roles together, we will win the battle against Satan. We will see the kingdom of God advance. But when we allow the devil to come and confuse things, to try and say, hey, we shouldn't have roles, we shouldn't be unique, we shouldn't have masculinity, we shouldn't have femininity, or or men, you just do nothing, you don't be the head, or ladies, you try and be the head, don't be the helper. When there's a confusion of these roles, what ends up is Satan gets the final say, he gets the victory at the end of the day. It's something that, just looking at the scripture, I think it's a tragedy to see what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know, that the roles were kind of done away with, that they were trying to uh, step into roles that God had not called them into. And the interesting thing is that when God comes back into the garden, when he meets them and everything's gone wrong, he goes to Adam first and he says, what happened? And that's God showing, hey, Adam is the head. He didn't go to Eve first. He went to the head. He said, you're the one that's supposed to take responsibility for that. What happened? And instead of Adam saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I messed up. I should have stepped in. I should have defended my family. I should have counteracted Satan. I should have stood the ground and said, no, this is what God said. He, he basically said, no, nah, the problem lies with Eve. She's the problem. And he took no responsibility for himself. He just passed the blame on to Eve. And so then God goes to Eve. And he says, what happened? And instead of her saying, I'm sorry, Lord, you gave me the role of helper. I should have deferred to Adam. I should have let him take the lead in this fight against the devil. Uh, I shouldn't have actually tried to step in and defend everything for myself. But instead of her saying that, she blamed the snake. She didn't take any responsibility for her role either. And she simply blamed the serpent and said, nope, the serpent deceived me. And so both of them threw the roles that God gave them aside. And the result was that sin entered and mankind was plunged into this terrible state of being separated from God. All because there was disobedience, but also there was a there was an abdicating from both of them of the roles that God had given them. And this is what I believe Paul is saying uh, when he says, yeah, Adam was, uh, sorry, it wasn't Adam who was deceived by Satan. It was Eve. He's saying, don't forget, Satan didn't play by the rules. Satan tried to twist this whole thing. Satan tried to take what God put in place and said is very good. Satan said, no, nope, I'm not accepting that. I'm not going to say anything is good about this. I'm going to try and reverse all of this. I'm going to make, I'm going to force Eve into a position that God hasn't put her in. I'm going to force her to defend her family. I'm going to force her to be the head, to be the spokesman. I'm going to, I'm going to attack her head on and let's see what happens. And that's really what Paul is saying here. And it's, it's a tragic situation. So I really, I'm really hoping that as we've gone through this, uh, this teaching, look, there's a whole lot more I could say about it. We just simply don't have time. I know there's, there's different applications of this. You know, some churches are going to apply this a little bit differently to other churches, and we're certainly not going to judge anybody. 
All we can do is look at the scriptures and go, okay, it looks like from a biblical point of view, the complementarian point is a valid one. How we work that out, well, we want to see. Uh, husbands and wives working in their roles in their marriage. How you work that out in your own marriage might look a little bit different to the marriage down the road from you. It's up to you to basically go, well, these are the truths of Scripture. How are we going to work this out as head and helper in our home? When it comes to church leadership, uh, we've kind of already got a model in place which we believe is biblical, and we want to certainly say that our, our wives of our elders are incredibly valuable. You know, I can't tell you the amount of times where we've come out of an elders meeting and just to myself, I've just said, thank you, Lord, that our wives are in that meeting because we were going to go down a certain road and we got opinions from everybody and then one of the ladies would say, well, what about this? And, you know, and it's actually caused us to rethink what we're doing and to change our position. And I just want to say thank the Lord that our wives are involved in ministry with us because they so complement us in being able to do what is it? It is a hard job. Leading a home is a hard job. Being a helper is a hard job. When you look at the result of the fall, you look at um, basically what happened is that uh, men and women have been given the task of multiplying, filling the earth, ruling over the earth, uh, growing crops and cultivating plants and all that kind of thing. But because they threw away their roles and sin entered, the job became hard. Suddenly now, multiplying, filling the earth, childbearing has become hard. Planting crops in the ground, there's now weeds and it's difficult to do the job. So men and women now, we the roles that we've been given, the calling that we've been given, it's not an easy calling and we need to support each other if we're going to have any uh, hope of actually uh, doing the will of God. So I really want to encourage you, come before the Lord, look at the roles, don't see them as being one is better than the other. See, Celebrate the uniqueness, celebrate the diversity, celebrate the fact that masculinity is good, femininity is good. Headship is good, being a helper is good. I mean, after all, the Holy Spirit is given as our helper. You don't see him complaining and saying, hey, hang on a minute, I don't want to be the helper here, I want, I want to be the head. Why does, why does Jesus get to be the head and I get to be the helper? There's none of that in the Godhead. Uh, you know? And so these positions are not something one is better than the other. Let's celebrate one is different from the other, but praise God, they're both given to us. They're important roles because they're given by the most important person uh, on the planet. You know, if you, were, if you were someone like a president's bodyguard, you would consider that role to be incredibly important. Why? Because you're doing something for a very important person. And so if we look at our roles within marriage, within the church, as being given by God, the most important person in the universe, we will go, wow, this role that I've been given is incredibly important. I have huge value because I'm created in the image of God, there's nothing uh, derogatory about the role that I have or the position that I have. It's a celebration of, hey, God's given me an important task and I want to do that to the best of my ability. And so how you work that out in your life, I think it takes a humility. I think it takes us 
coming before the Lord, coming before the Word, and saying, God, I don't want to just push my ideas onto this. I want to be humble. I want to look at this. And I want to say, Lord, how can I outwork this in my life? How can I find a way to do the role that you've assigned me to do without trying to fight for my position, without trying to uh, change or twist scriptures in any way, but just to be humble and say, okay, God, let me find joy in doing this role that you've given me. So, in fact, next week we've got Hannah who's going to preach, and I specifically asked her if she wouldn't mind preaching after me just to show, hey, we, we want to celebrate uh, ladies preaching. There's, there's nothing to say that ladies can't preach. There's nothing to say that ladies can't study the Bible. Uh, ladies can't lead groups. I mean, we've got, we've got groups that are run by ladies in the church. We've got groups that are led by married couples in the church, by singles in the church. There's nothing to say ladies can't uh, evangelize. In fact, I heard of a story where a lady went into another nation she actually won a whole lot of people to the Lord uh, and started a church. But her, her understanding of Scripture was that, look, church needs a, a male elder. And so instead of just shutting it down and saying, oh, I can't lead this church because I'm a lady, she just prayed and she said, Lord, I see in Scripture that eldership is male, and so I'm going to pray that you raise up a a man to come and lead this church and after I think it was about two years God raised someone up and she was able to hand over that church I think that's the biblical way that we should go down we, sh we shouldn't look at people and go oh that's wrong shut it down that's right keep going we should say let's find a way in God we're all on a journey together we're all trying to uh, be led by the Holy Spirit in this. But we do see some things in Scripture that we're wanting to honor, we're wanting to uphold. Why? Because we revere God and we want to reflect Him accurately. Praise God. I hope that this has been an encouraging message. I hope that you feel valued, that you feel uplifted, that you don't in any way feel squashed or downtrodden or oppressed. Uh, that certainly isn't... Uh, my desire my desire is for us to say hey male and female are both wonderful they're both god-given genders roles in marriage are wonderful roles in leadership are wonderful all forms of ministry are wonderful and let's let's celebrate god let's celebrate what he's doing you've been listening to the new gen sermon podcast to find out more about us visit us at newgencitychurch.org